Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye, and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Joshin Ragubar. Joshin is an African entrepreneur in the media, marketing, and technology sectors. Joshin, you grew up in South Africa. Tell me a bit about your upbringing. Thank you, Emma. So if you look at where I am now in my life, I've, I've spent approximately uh, half my life living in a South Africa that was under an, an apartheid regime, and probably in the next half of my life living in a new South Africa, post-94 South Africa, uh, a free and democratically uh, democratic South Africa. But living in a pre-1994 South Africa meant uh, my experience of growing up was living in a segregated community, living in, in an Indian community, uh, with Indian schools, Indian neighborhoods, uh, and certainly as a politically black person uh, with different access to um, both political opportunities and certainly economic opportunities. And I lived in a very exciting time because that was really the final run towards the end of apartheid, overcoming an apartheid regime. And I lived through a transformation. So what I experienced as a, as a young young person in that time was the political liberation and political transformation of South Africa. And I realized in 1994 when I could vote for the first time, I was 18, and I could uh, vote for Nelson Mandela, that we had achieved political liberation. And it was very clear to me that we had not achieved an economic transformation. And the next journey for South Africans was to achieve economic transformation uh, for people of all uh, class and color. So that was a big part of where, um, a big part of what colored my lenses in how I view the world. So growing up in South Africa in that liberation struggle moment, of course, the, the heroes that inspired all of us were uh, Nelson Mandela, being part of the Indian community. Of course, you grew up on stories of Gandhi, who had a lot of his formative years in South Africa, and actually quite close to the neighborhood where I grew up. And uh, and heroes like Chris Harney were part of the ANC. So these are the people, uh, the legends of our time. And so we had incredible role models. I mean, r- people that had achieved radical uh, forms of reconciliation, uh, radical uh, uh, forms of peaceful liberation, uh, the people that appeal to our, our highest ideals. So, uh, you know, you, as a young person, it's, uh, it was a privilege to, in many ways, to grow up in a space where you were influenced by some of the greatest and uh, idealists of our time. Did that make you want to go into politics? So to, to my earlier point, Everything I, th- I think we do is political. So I'm certainly uh, have a understand that all my actions are political. Does it mean I want to go into elected politics? The answer was no at the time, and particularly because I believe that the most political action we could have made uh, as as someone going growing up post ninety four was to really work on the economic transformation of South Africa and getting black people, politically black people, to have some sort of ownership of the economy. Without any ownership of the economy, uh, we could never be agents uh, that determines our own future and will always be uh, subjugated to other forms of power. So 
I certainly went into politics, but not into uh, political. My ambitions were never in political office. It's about being political in terms of the economic transformation. So that's what I've really worked towards. I went into life as an entrepreneur, and I decided to work to being an entrepreneur for, uh, I guess, two reasons. One is that I wanted uh, to create role models and be a role model for a politically black person to have some uh, ownership of the economy uh, as an owner of capital and a creator of capital. And the second part of that is, I, you know, when I reflect back on that time, under apartheid, we had so little autonomy. And I, uh, I guess by choosing the lifestyle and career and framework of entrepreneurship, I was trying to claim back some autonomy because uh, I could make some of my own decisions. So uh, absolutely, it, um, it influenced my, uh, my, my career choices uh, to be an entrepreneur, to create jobs, to be an owner of capital. And, I, and, uh, and that's certainly what I've done and that's been my career for the last, over the last 20 years. It's been my career both in the for-profit world and I have a portfolio of businesses that, that I have formed and continue to run in the digital media and technology space. Can you and tell us a bit about these initiatives? Yes. So the, the, from a commercial perspective, uh, you know, I've, I've been intrigued by technology and innovation uh, as my passion area. Uh, so we've gone into businesses that, uh, that are in the vanguard of digital transformation. Uh, we have a... A business that uh, consults uh, from a customer relationship uh, in, in CRM, cross relationship marketing, uh, to clients that helps them with their transformation of their businesses uh, around c- better customer relationships. And we have a creative agency a business and a consulting business that does that. We have a digital media business. We have a advisory business on on looking and uh, helping clients move into the rest of the continent. The second part of my world is certainly still within the framework of entrepreneurship and innovation, but in the nonprofit space. And that, that's the work I, I, I'm really so passionate about because it's basically, we said, to develop our regional economy. Yeah, we wanted to use the levers of entrepreneurship and innovation to do that. So 20 years ago, 1998 to 1999, we started an organization called the Cape Innovation and Technology Initiative. And really the idea predicated that this was predicated on was we could see that South Africa in the late 90s was still very much a commodity-driven economy and an agrarian economy. We were picking fruit of trees and digging holes in the ground. And we could see that the future wanted us and needed us to be in a knowledge economy and uh, and a service economy. So we picked uh, uh, probably three areas in the region to focus on creative industries, innovation and, and technology, and tourism. And if you look at Cape Town today, and it's you know the journey probably is not obvious for a lot of people, but I've lived through this and actively been part of this today. Cape Town um, is considered one of the one of the top creative cities in the world. In 2014, we were the design capital of the world. Uh, today, Cape Town is considered the number one innovation ecosystem in Africa. Uh, it's considered the number one uh, city in Africa uh, and rated the number one city in Africa on the Innovation Cities Index. Um, and in tourism, I mean, you can read almost any newspaper, the New York Times, Condé Nast Traveler. Yeah. We're always in the top three tourism destinations in the world. So I think we've we made that shift, but that was a very conscious shift. So part of the area I've worked in was to be chairperson of the organization that drove the innovation and technology piece of that transformation. 
We created incubators for entrepreneurs and startup entrepreneurs. We actively work to create clusters, economic clusters and technology clusters um, that bring together, brought together big business, academia, and government in this tri-sector um, space where, uh, to, to work on solutions to stimulate where the market uh, wasn't picking up uh, on activity and stimulate that growth. Uh, we, we worked on job readiness programs where we take um, graduates and people that came out of the universities and schools and make sure they were skilled and ready to enter a tech and innovation-orientated economy. Uh, and that's the work we do. So, you know, we have to run the largest incubator in Africa. We have job skills programs, uh, entrepreneurship programs. We have innovation, open innovation cluster programs. And again, it's about... Uh, achieving transformation in our economy, uh, both because we very much look at it at a, at a social justice lens, being South African, so there's a racial transformation element, but it's also a transformation of our economy from old economy to new economy, to being relevant in a new, in a new, uh, in a new world. So, and, and, that, and that will take me into, I think, it, because the world's always changing, I think, uh, my career is always changing. If I have this mm-hmm. paradigm, if I have this as kind of my, my North Star, is how are we geared to transform ourselves, our economy, our politics, to be geared to, to, to the future? And, and that's, that's really what drives me. How are we being geared to the future? So in our commercial businesses, I think about how we're we are being geared, geared to the future. And uh, the work we do in our commercial businesses is helping our clients be geared for the future. And in my nonprofit work, I I will look at how our region can be geared for the future. And do you look at how to address inequalities? Absolutely. You know, South Africa, um, you you cannot visit South Africa and and not be struck over the head by the levels of inequality. You know, you land in Cape Town where I live, it's the most beautiful city in the world in my opinion, but uh, on the drive, 15, 20 minute drive from the airport into the city, you move from um, a beautiful airport and you drive past all these very low income shacks, effectively townships, uh, uh, where people have very little. And, uh, and then you drive into the city and then you drive to all these homes that look like we're in the south of France. You know, yeah. it's remarkable. So you, 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 you're confronted by that in South Africa. So we work, we work to, to try to um, change that. I think in South Africa at a government policy level, there's lots of uh, things, uh, policy level interventions like black economic empowerment, um, there's the taxation systems. Um, uh, in, in the work we do, we certainly try to encourage and develop and uh, work to bring black entrepreneurs and township entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship entrepreneurs from low-income environments into the to, into the market economy. Um, but I've, I, you know, I have some views on, on inequality and what we need to do. I think uh, whatever we've been doing is certainly not enough. South Africans, uh, the inequality in South Africa. Uh, while many things have improved, I don't think we've really managed to solve the inequality issue. Uh, so if I, and I, Emma, I think if I had to think about, if I had a wand, what I would do to, to change. Uh, to if you were the president of South Africa. If I was the president of South Africa, um, I would draft policy to, uh, if I'm the president, I can impose things, right? Okay, so <laughs> I would impose a 100% uh, inheritance tax. I think inheritance taxes entrenches inequality. Inheritance, uh, um, uh, in general, and generational wealth perpetuates inequality. So I would, I would certainly uh, uh, 
impose a, a, a very large inheritance uh, tax. I would decrease income taxes and impose a very large inheritance tax. And then I would work, uh, as always, I think education's a big deal. So we'd have to improve the education system um, to bring more people into the market economy and the knowledge economy to, so that they can participate in the economy. Uh, education's critical. But I do think education's and the, 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 the um, framework for education uh, has to change given to where the world's moving to. Yeah. So I think uh, when in the, in the current world, we, we, if we add more people, we get people to participate in the labor market, they can improve their economic well-being. I think in the world that I'm thinking about in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years time, when robots start to doing a lot of the work, um, the humans are going to be taken out of the labor market. So no matter how much education we have to move people into the labor market, um, that's not going to be the answer. I think we're going to have to look at education in a different way um, as uh, humans need to identify their productivity with something other than the conventional uh, forms of labor and work. Because so, it's hard to imagine, you know, we get our source of identity, who we are in life through the work that we do. If we have a future where humans aren't working, what will we do all day? What will be our purpose and meaning in life? That's a great question, and I, I don't know the answers, but I, I think there's some, uh, there's certainly some areas we can we can look to and, and that point to a space, right? So one is I think we've got to understand, I think, my, my view is that humans like to be productive. They, they achieve a sense of identity from being productive. Now, that's been the paradigm of work and labor. I think if we reframe productivity into other forms, so creativity, writing, thinking, critical thinking, which then brings you back to education. So what types of education uh, systems are we creating and, and, and curricula that we're creating that, are, that, that fosters creative thinking and um, allowing humans to synthesize information and create, and create frames that I'm not sure robots can do quite, quite yet. So how, do humans, how are humans going to uh, live in a post-work environment? Uh, I'm not sure. But I think before we get to a total post-work environment, what I'm really excited about and what's driving my thinking about the work I do uh, and the work we do from a regional development perspective is thinking about the shift of, um, uh, that technology is allowing, which is a shift of manufacturing back into cities from large scale to small scale, from large industrial complexes to small advanced urban manufacturing environments, small advanced urban farming environments. We're going to move back into the space where um, we see organized organizational units, companies of 20, 30, 40 people, 10 people uh, producing high quality items at scale, empowered by technologies like 3D printing, Internet of Things, uh, global supply chains, um, that also have improved local supply chains. So the move from global to global is mm -hmm. certainly happening. The move uh, back from large industrial manufacturing that's shipped, that's shipped out of cities and shipped out of countries even, um, is gonna come back into cities. We're gonna see the maker communities move into uh, uh, high levels of sophistication and organization into urban manufacturing. And that's very exciting. And that allows us to see more small businesses flourish. Um, 
It allows us to see new political organizations flourish. It's, uh, so when I think about the regional development we work we do in developing an innovation and technology economy in Cape Town in the region, and we've been focusing on software and, uh, and entrepreneurs, um, technology entrepreneurs, um, around, um, uh, mainly around software. But we're gonna, I think what we're going to start to have to do is think about creating zones of advanced manufacturing, bringing rezoning parts of the city that allow advanced manufacturing to happen. That's got an environmental uh, component to it, a local government component to it, commercial property zoning component to it, certainly got an education component. We need fabricators, solders, welders, robotics experts, knowledge experts, software people on top of that. Uh, We need new forms of education. So I think that's my project until 2030, frankly. I think you're going to be quite busy. Yeah. This, yes. is, a, <laughs> this yeah. is a lot to work on. I mean, a lot of people thinking these things find it terrifying and they're looking for some idealized past. What you're talking about is really creating a whole new future. Yes, but that's the way I'm orientated. You know, um, I heard someone say uh, uh, recently that the world only spins forward, right? And I'm not 100% sure that I think it's uh, but but it's certainly the way I choose to see the world, and um, and if the world spins forward, then I've got to be future orientated and look f- look for technology to create new spaces and new ways to for us to solve um, solve for the for the complexities and issues of our times and of the times that are coming through both technology, but mainly through imagination, and uh, that that's very exciting for me. But do you have a populist backlash in South Africa against where the economy is going, against where people see the world going? Look, I think we we have a a populist backlash globally that has influenced a lot of local politics. Um, South Africa has some of our own deep issues that that are that are uh, are related globally. Um, I mean, we've got some deeply embedded race, race issues of race and inequality. Um, and that can, th- those issues can easily feed into populist politics. And I think we, we are seeing that. We certainly are seeing that uh, by politicians who lack imagination and lack the skills to, re- to reimagine a future and bring people along with them. So we certainly are seeing a... a uh, at one level in South Africa, we're seeing a trend of uh, dumbed-down politics and populist politics. Uh, we're, but at the same time, we're also seeing a counter-trend of, of young people challenging this thinking. So I think we South Africa sits on a knife's edge, um, mm-hmm. and we could go in either direction. And uh, I think our job is to, to try to move us in a direction that is, that is more positive, that challenges this dumbed-down thinking this populist thinking. I think there is um, really an opportunity in South Africa to, um, because we're still a young democracy, uh, to, to, to rethink a lot of how politics has been run globally. But I think we've got a bigger global problem of, of here, uh, uh, and the models globally are much more ossified than they are in South Africa. So again, as an optimist, I think uh, we, while we do um, have um, 
we're off that we are, our political environments fraught to the danger of being populist. We also have the opportunity to reimagine uh, a great place for, for, for everyone to live in. Well, Joshin, good luck with all your work and thank you very much for talking to me today. Thank you very much, Emma.